Uh, so good to be with you. We're going to get into chapter 5 of the book of Esther tonight. Before we start, though, uh, I forget your names, folks. you got to tell me your names again. Kevin and Jenny. Last name? Okay. They are the new direct. He's the new director of Youth for Christ here in Indian River County. They come to us from over by the lake, by Lake Okeechobee. Uh, is it the Belle Glade area? Yeah. And uh, which is a beautiful area. If you've not spent any time in Belle Glade, that's the richest soil in Florida. I mean, it's beautiful, dark black soil. Um, but uh, they came to us from there and uh, are serving in our community, working with the young people. So it's great to have you guys again. Thanks for coming back. All right. Well, let's go ahead and launch in with prayer. No better way to start Bible study than praying. Father, uh, these are forms of worship in themselves. The, the, the idea of prayer is not something we do to set up worship. It is worship. In and of itself, it's the worship of God by turning our thoughts toward you and invoking, asking that you would reveal the things to us we need to see. That's why we're here tonight. We're here for Bible study, which in itself is a form of worship. So God, worship is much more than music and singing. Worship is anything where the value, the worth is placed upon you. And we adore, we honor, we, we uh, humbly bow before you tonight. And I ask that tonight, Lord, that the word of God the spoken, written word of God that's in the Bibles in front of us would actually be made alive by the Holy Spirit in order that we would come to understand what the text is saying. Not what we want it to say, but Lord, what you're actually saying through it. So God, guide us tonight in that process. We give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh-huh. Well, praise God. Wonderful. That's wonderful. Let's, let's at the end of our time, I, I want us to have prayer for requests because there's, a, there's several that we need to remember. And thank you uh, for sharing that, Steve. Appreciate it. But let's, let's make sure at the end that we do that, okay? Remind me if, 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 we, if that slips by. Uh, let me read for... I'm going to change it up tonight. We're going to do it a little differently. I want to read the text. We're doing two chapters tonight. And the reason for that is because they're very short. And we can actually do two in the same amount of time it takes to do one. Now, that being said, you guys know me, and we might, we might get three verses, and then that's it, you know? I mean, who knows? But goal, I should say the goal is two chapters tonight. Okay, let me just read for you chapter five, okay? On the third, excuse me, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside uh, inside the throne room at, uh, opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, 
she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Esther, what is it Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you, even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Verse 9, And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. And then Haman said, Even Queen Esther let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Bless you. Verse 14, Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. So that's chapter 5, and I want us to take our time and just kind of walk through this chapter, and this is an interesting chapter because it's the setup chapter for chapter 6, and more importantly, chapter 7, which is the outcome. But interestingly enough, Esther put on her royal robes, it says. She was showing courage. She was coming before the king and had planned well this, this meeting. If we look back from last chapter, chapter 4, we remember that Haman has already devised a plan and the king has approved the plan and put out a decree to all the people of his entire nation, which, by the way, his empire stretched across all of Europe, into Africa, into Asia Minor, it was everywhere. 
and all Jews would be killed. All Jews would lose their life at the end of the year. It was going to be a complete wiping out of a people group from the earth. And this is what Haman had paid the king to do. And interestingly, so now Mordecai gets word of what the plan is that Haman has devised to take out. And of course, Haman is part of the Agagites. Who are who? who, who, who what is the Agagite uh, tribe from? What, what, what nation of people? The Amalekites, who are the arch en uh, enemies of Israel. I remember I shared with you back in chapter 3 that the Amalekites are a type of sin. It's a picture in the Old Testament of sin. And God had said to the king, to King, uh, uh, excuse me, King Saul, he told him, wipe out the Amalekites completely. Men, women, children, livestock. Don't let anyone live. Why? Because God is sovereign. God has understanding of all things at all time in every place. And, and God knew that this day would come. That there would be a future day when if the Amalekites were still around, they would try to completely annihilate the Jewish people. And of course, Saul did not go and wipe everybody out. He saved the king, King Agag. And he saved the king's family. And he returns with Agag, and the, the man of God said to King Saul, what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear? You're telling me that you carried out the God, uh, God's will, yet I hear animals. And who is this guy? And Agag, the king, is really happy. He's thinking, I've been spared. I'm in good shape. I'm not going to die. Yeah, all my people are dead, but I got to live. I mean, just self-centered, right? And, and, and he's like, who is this guy? And, and Saul gave a song and dance. And he basically said, you know, oh, we saved the choicest of all the animals to offer to God in worship. And, 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 he, and the king, is, he goes, what about him? And of course, uh, the response of the man of God was, you do understand that obedience is greater than sacrifice. This man should not be standing here. These sheep that I'm hearing should not be bleeding. Not bleeding, bleating. And so he took a sword and he chopped up Agag in pieces in front of the king, in front of Saul, to show what it looks like when you carry out God's demand. God was judging the Amalekites for their sinfulness. And because they did not take out the Amalekites completely, here we are. Sin still remains. You and I must put the sins of the flesh to death. You've been created new in Christ. No longer are you under the power of sin. As a believer, no longer are you un under the penalty of sin. You crucify. You've been crucified with Christ. No longer do you live. Christ now lives in you. The life you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God. 
And, and so here's a picture going back to this Old Testament story where Mordecai realizes we're, we're going to die. And he tells the queen, you better do something quick because on that date in the future, all Jews in the Persian Empire are going to die. And, and so, and by the way, the Persians had influence over Judea. Uh, the Judeans were still paying a tax to the Persians. They were just now beginning to return uh, from the 70 years of captivity. Already two waves, or one wave is, has come, is getting ready to come through. So here we see uh, Esther now at first telling Mordecai, who's her cousin who raised her, hey, there's nothing I can do. Uh, and, of course, Mordecai said back, uh, excuse me, you do know that you're going to die. You're Jewish. So uh, either you wait and die when they annihilate all the Jews or take the risk of dying by going before the king and pleading your case. And so here she has prayed and fasted along with all the Jews in the land for three days. Now she approaches the king, and she's dressed in her royal splendor. And she's very strategic. She's very specific in what she requests of the king. Uh, we don't really understand exactly how this happens, but it says here that she was uh, in the palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. So the best way to say it is the king had a line of sight where he could see her, even though she was not standing before him. And so as she's standing there, could you imagine the fear that's come over her? Because you do not approach the king unless he bids. If you come into the presence of the king without his bidding, he has men standing there with axe in hand and they will take your head off, even if you're the queen. The only one who would be allowed to come into the presence of the king is the one to whom the king lowers his scepter towards them and allows them to come forward. And if you see in our text, when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. Now, let's stop for a second. I'm going to give you an insight to that passage right there, and then I want to ask you a question. She won favor in his sight. Here's, here's something you need to understand that will help you with the question that I'm going to ask. Um, it means he won favor with God. That's what it means. By having favor with God, God opened the king to, to give her favor. So now, with that being said, how is it that Esther has been able to strategically plan to come before the king? What has she done? What's going on here that she would be able to stand and the king receive her? And the answer is spiritual. It's not physical. What is it? Anybody have a, take a stab at it? Prayer. For how long? Yeah, it doesn't actually say pray. It says fasted for three days. You better believe while they were fasting for three days, they were praying. And she was actually asking Mordecai, 
have the Jews, all the Jews, pray for me, that I would be given favor to go before the king. I mean, that's really what the prayer was about. It was because of prayer, the worship of God, that God began to move in behalf of Esther. Do we underestimate the power of prayer? We often think that prayer is us getting what we want before God. Prayer is much more about us changing before God. Becoming what God wants us to be. That's prayer. Jesus prayed, he taught his disciples, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So what's the first part of prayer? What's that about? What did he just... Adoration, praising God, worship God. The very first thing, our Father who art in heaven. Does that sound like a little God to you or a big God? Hallowed be your name. What does that say? Holy, majestic, pure, just, holy. God, you're holy. That's how you should begin prayer. A picture of God, not a picture of our prayer list. This is why I'm moving the, 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 the prayer request to the end of the meeting. Because right now, we're focused on God. And if we get the right picture of God tonight in this Bible study, then when we pray, we'll have a greater confidence that our God can handle whatever the situation is that our friend or we are facing in life. Amen? Get a better picture. She's standing courageously in her royal robes. The king could have very easily not received her. You do remember Queen Vashti, who because she wouldn't do as the king had asked her, he cast her out as queen. She's no longer a queen. He's living in some remote village now. So Esther was taking great risk, but she had asked everyone of her people to pray to the one true and living God. And so now she's standing, and the king in his line of sight can see her, and he immediately, please, come, holding the scepter out to her. Isn't that powerful? Right, here we are. We're just in the first verse. Second verse, and, and, and God has already granted favor to Esther. Don't think for a second it was her dress that caused the king to give her favor. It was God who gave her favor before the king. Amen? Verse 3, and the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? What, how would a king even think to ask that kind of an open-ended question? unless somehow God has shaped his heart to listen to her, to receive from her. This is a, by the way, this is not a, a God, you know, a God-driven king. This is a man-driven king. He has false gods. He does not worship the one true and living God. What, is that, what does that mean to you, to hear that? that he is now listening to Esther, a Jew, and God has moved his heart to open up to her. 
and he's not even a he's not even a follower. What does that tell you about God? God can use anyone, Christian or non-Christian. I on the way to the uh, airport in Nashville, we took an Uber. We traveled with uh, Kate and Dylan and little Grant, their little boy. Uh, Kate and Dylan are Dylan's part of the worship ministry and from our church. And so we all rode together in an Uber. And our driver was from East Jerusalem. And so I struck up a conversation. And I said, uh, so, so are you a Muslim or are you a Jew? And he said, well, he said, uh, I'm, I'm from Palestine. I'm, I'm a Palestinian. So he's an Arab. But he said, this is, talk about a God appointment. He said, but you know, I really am caught between Islam and Christianity. I've been living here now in, in, in uh, the United States for three decades. And I've, some of my closest friends are Jews and Christians. And this man is in a place of openness. What he couldn't come to grips with was that God would somehow allow anybody to die and go to hell. He thought that God's love would win out and only, you know, everybody would go to heaven. And so we never got to the point because Nashville's not, the airport's too close. That was the problem. If I'd had 20 more minutes, <laughs> no, it, it, look, salvation is the Lord's work, not man's, right? But we all have opportunity every day if we open our ears and our eyes and, and, and with the Holy Spirit guiding us, we speak when He wants us to speak and we encourage and we love when He tells us to do it. It's amazing how He uses us to sprinkle, to sow seeds, you know, to cultivate soil. And we had the most wonderful time. And, and uh, so when we got there, you know, I could just tell that I'd love to, to, to visit with him again. His name was Walid. And uh, so keep him in prayer, if you will. Walid. In fact, tonight, later, let's pray for Walid, that he will come to saving faith in Christ. But see, God has to do the softening. God has to do the shaping for a person to open up to the Lord. I, I, I believe that God had prepared this king to receive this Jewish woman who is his queen, and she, and she was received. And it goes further here. Okay, so let's just keep moving through. And Esther said, because he asked her, what is it that you request? If it pleases the king, well, b b by the way, let's back up the la last part of verse 3. What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. Now, before you get really impressed by that statement, know that that is called royal hyperbole. Uh, it's just what they say. He is not about to give up half of his kingdom uh, to her simply if she asks for it. He's a, thank you, he's a great politician, yes. We, do, we don't have royal hyperbole, we have political hyperbole. Okay, that's a nice way of saying it too, by the way. So, you see how God's working in all of this? Isn't it beautiful? You know, C.S. Lewis once said, um, coincidence is God's way of... Uh, 
remaining anonymous. Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. And here you see it looks like it's coincidence. It's not. In your life, sometimes it feels like coincidence. It's not. It's not. God is working. God is always working. Here's the deal, though. He's not working for your end. He's working for his own end. His, he wants his goals to be fulfilled in your life. And it's wonderful to know that when we follow God and we walk by the Spirit, that there are tremendous blessings in store for us as we fulfill God's will. But God's will doesn't always end well for Christians. I wish you could have been there last night. I wish the whole church could go to one of these conferences. I just wish. Amen, sister. Um, we heard from a young lady, an Arab, and she now works for Voice of the Martyrs. But uh, she and her friend, another girl, beautiful young ladies, they set out by the will of God to put Bibles all over the city of Tehran. And they smuggled over the course of three years thousands of Bibles into Tehran. Young ladies every day risking their life for the sake of the gospel. And they was, she was finally put in prison, she and her friend. They both watched as one of their friends was put to death in front of them. And they were told, all you have to do, all you have to do is take a piece of paper and write on it that you recant, that you will not follow Jesus. Of course, her resolve was so strong as this beautiful young lady, and she said, you go right ahead and put me to death because the second that I die, I will be with the very Jesus that you told me to recant from. Strong in the Lord. Well, God gave her favor. They released her. And now she is doing even a greater work through Voice of the Martyrs. People like us. These are people like us who have put Christ first in their life. He's everything to them. And what has God done for her? He's given her favor. You say, but what about her friend that was put to death? God gave that person favor as well. They are in the presence of Jesus. Amen. Whatever our situation, and this is a bleak situation, this is as bad as it can get really in that period of time in history, and yet God is very much in control. And it looks like it's just coincidence. It's not. It's God working anonymously behind the scenes, but He is at work, and it's going to continue. And Esther said, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. And then the king said, Bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, what is your wish? Again, he repeats the same thing. Whatever you ask, up to half of my kingdom, you can have it. Uh, and Esther answered, my wish and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, 
And if it pleases the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has asked. I'll tell you what my wish and my request is tomorrow at the feast. But will you come to another feast? Now, I want to ask, why she just had them at the feast? And the king is saying, tell me what you want. I'll do it. And she said, well, tomorrow I will tell you, but I, what I'm asking you now is to come back to a second feast tomorrow with Amon. What is she up to? What do you think? What are your thoughts? Timing. Who's timing? Sometimes we look at a situation, this is it. This is the time. And God's like, I just need you to be obedient in the moment and not try to plan out the, you know, we do that with the, with Jesus, you know, like when he's going to return. We look at all these scriptures in the Bible, and we have it down to the very hour that Jesus is going to return, even though Jesus himself said, I don't know the day or the hour. We, we just plan things way beyond God. And, of course, that's ridiculous. But she is, obviously, the timing wasn't right in that first meeting. He needed to have him come back. And so that's what they do. They, they come back. Verse 9, and Haman's uh, went out that day joyful and glad of heart. So he's thinking, man, you know, I've got all this favor. He went home and bragged on himself, all that, all that he has before the king and all his great family, all my sons, and, and I have greater power than all, even the servants of the house of the king. I have everything, blah, 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 blah. Even Esther, the queen, invited only me to the feast today. And then she's invited me back tomorrow. What do you think God's doing in all of this? He's building this guy up, letting this guy's puffed up spirit take him. Remember what it says in Romans chapter 5, or, or chapter 1? God gave them over to the impurities of their heart. He comes back later in the same chapter and he says, and God gave them over and began to let them go into unnatural sexual encounters. And then finally, in the same chapter, it says, and God gave them over to a reprobate mind. You know what a reprobate mind is? It's somebody who cannot think right. They're incapable of thinking right thoughts. To a reprobate, wrong is right, and right is wrong. I, honestly, I, we have reprobates in all positions of power in America. Not, I'm not, let me back up. I'm not saying all are reprobate, but in all the facets, whether it be a CEO of a company, a CFO, whether it be a president of a nation or Congress, there are those within government, within commerce, in every sphere of influence. There are reprobates. We know that because of what is being allowed to happen in our nation today, and most importantly, in the presence of our children. I watched a video... Look it up. Look this guy up. If you ever want to watch some interesting videos, 
uh, go on YouTube and, and put in, in the search window, put in bezel, B-E-Z-E-L, T3. Bezel, T3. B is in boy. E is in Edward. Z is in zero. Uh, e is in Edward. L. T as in Tom, three. Bezel T3. He is a he's a, a Christian. He's reformed. And he spends a lot of time listening to preachers and listening to churches and the things that today they are teaching and they are preaching. And so as he plays this video, he will stop it and he'll say, now, let me tell you what the Bible says about that verse. Here's what that man said, but let me tell you what the Bible says. And he corrects where they have cherry-picked scriptures to say what they want to say rather than what God is saying. And so it's, it, he, it's good teaching. I don't agree with him on everything. Nobody agrees with me on everything. I know it's hard for some of you to believe, but they don't agree with you either. <laughs> Nobody has it all together here, amen? We're all, we're all a bunch of, you know, we're just a bunch of uh, pilgrims sitting at a table eating a morsel of bread from the table of God. Yet God's put a spread for us. He's like, don't stop eating. Keep going, keep going. There's more for you. I love that. Well, this guy does a good job. Well, one of the videos that I watched recently was, it was a church, okay, um, forget the name of the church, in Boston, one of the oldest churches in America. Some of the early founders worshipped in this church. The history is rich, but it is completely liberal now. The children's pastor started the service, inviting everyone in. The call to worship was not a scripture passage that gave you a picture of the greatness of God at all. The call to worship was the children's pastor, a woman standing up and talking about how wonderful that God has created such unique individuals. And she calls out every type of LGBTQI plus A, what I mean, anybody calls them all out and says this is just the beautiful diversity, the cornucopia of God's love, that he would display himself through all these different, unique, wonderful people. Children are sitting there. It then showed a, 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 a clip from that church with the children coming up. You know how some churches will have a children's story. And the children are all there. And this morning, the pastor is beside himself as he invites, I forget the name, but it's a man dressed as a woman with heavy, heavy makeup, big hair, colored hair. And this is the person who will read the Bible story for the children in that church that day. Friends, that is God handing over in judgment to those who have absolutely resisted and rebelled against God and his truth. And it is happening everywhere. And we must stand for truth. Not Listen, this is not a political push here. I'm not asking you to stand for some political party. Because political parties, all of them, need Jesus. 
okay? Our message is not a political message. Our message as believers is Jesus Christ saves. He is the only hope for people to make it to heaven. That, that's our message. And so if you get caught up in a political party, here's what happens. You won't pray for those who are of the opposite party. You only have, you spurn them. You, they disgust you. And what I just shared with you disgusts you to hear it about a guy dressed like a woman giving a children's story that is corrupt and perverted. And it was a perverted story. And it just, it, but, but, but here's as Christians, our response, we should have sorrow in our heart over the state of lostness of that individual. We should want to pray for them that they would come to believe in the one true and living God and that they would receive his truth in their heart. Amen? It's hard to be a Christian in these days because we've got people trying to pull us into their little pockets of belief and their man-made heritages. They're not God-given. We're to be above that. And by the way, voting is important. I vote every four years. That's important. But if you cut me, I do not bleed a political party. I bleed Jesus. That means I need to be praying for everybody, including our president. Really. Listen, back off on some of the posts that we put on Facebook that does not reflect a true spirit of Christ in us, but comes out as an anger or a hatred towards certain people. You can look, you can have an you can have a righteous indignation towards sin. Good. But you need to love the person who's living in that mess. We are commanded to love. Amen. Okay. So none of that had anything to do with the teaching tonight. Hopefully it did. You've got Esther standing, and she says in verse 13, Yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the... This is, this is Haman, so he's bragging on himself, and God says, Okay, you, you want to you be a prideful man? I'll puff you on up. Go ahead and come out and say that I'm the only one that gets to sit at Esther's party and eat her food. And tomorrow I'm going back for more. Yet, yet... It disgusts me to see Mordecai not bow down before me, not show fear towards me. All the good that I have done, all the things that the king says about me and the favor that I've been given, but man, it just eats me up that this one Jew does not show any respect for me. He won't play the game. Mordecai was not going to play that game. And so, interestingly, look at verse 14. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, let a gallows 50 cubits high, by the way, that's 75 feet high. Let a gallows 50 cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. You have all the favor that you need with the king. He's the one that told you, go ahead and wipe out, exterminate the Jews next year. So go ahead, ask and 
Ask for Mordecai to die, to be hanged. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. So in the morning, hanging, and then enjoy the meal that Vashti's or that uh, Esther has prepared for you. So let me explain this, this gallows. I did some research on this. And so customary in that day, you're thinking of a gallows with a rope hanging and you put the, the head inside the rope and then the bottom falls out and they die. That is not at all the picture. The picture is actually a picture of a stake, probably about that big around, that is attached to the ground somehow where it cannot move, and it sticks up probably five feet high, pointed on the end. And the, the form of death is the most harsh and cruel, if you think about it. The person is dropped onto the stake like a shish kebab. And it enters and it goes all the way up and through the skull sticks out the top of the, of the, of the piece of wood. They're impaled. That's what he had in mind for Mordecai. That's how much this man hated the Jews. So, uh, go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. By the morning, the gallows was completed. So this guy really thinks he's in charge, he's large, he's got everything going for him, I've got the king in my back pocket, now I've got the queen in my back pocket, and I'll just tell the king, let's, 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 this guy that has not shown respect to me, let's put him to death. Well, uh, that's not really what happens, is it? Verse 1 in chapter 6, on that night the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds. What is that? The chronicles. Bring them. And they were read before the king. He did not select what passage to read, what part of the story to read of the history of his people. Whoever's reading chose a selected passage. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on, the, on King Aswaras. So what the part that they read to him that night, that because he couldn't sleep, was this man Mordecai. He's the one who revealed the two eunuchs who tried to assassinate you. And the king said, what honor... Or what distinction has been bestowed upon Mordecai for this? And the king's young men who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. Now, now let's just stop for a second. So the king that night goes to bed knowing the next day I'm going to go with Haman to the next banquet, the big party. We're going to drink some more, and then my queen's going to tell me what she wants. Uh, but he can't sleep. And so he asks for this book of history. They bring it. And the part that is read is the part about the very man that in the morning, Haman is going to say, King, this guy needs to die. He has shown disrespect to me. 
putting to death. But the king that night is being told, this man saved your life, and you never did anything for him. Now, if you go back early into the, into the book of Esther, remember when it happened, when he, he revealed this, this assassination attempt, and nothing was said about the king doing anything for him. And you probably thought back then, that's kind of odd. He saved the king's life, yet he's still on the outside looking in. He doesn't have any favor with the king. He's having to go through uh, Queen Esther in order to, to impress the king. And it's through her, not him. Well, there's a reason why he was never given. God is working. Amen? I just love that. And so, verse, if you will, verse 4, And the king said, Who is, this, who is in the court? So now it's morning. The king has remembered that he never did anything for this man, Mordecai. He's reminded how he saved his life. And I never did anything for him. Now in the morning, Haman shows up. Now if you remember, the last thing Haman said to his family and friends, man, I've got it made in the shade before the king. I am the dude. I am the dude. Okay? And the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. Now that's interesting too. This Haman had, had favor with the king. He didn't worry about being having his head chopped off. He knew he had the king's favor. So uh, verse 6, so Haman came in. And the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Wow, so the king's being so kind to him. What, what, what should be done to the man who the king delights to honor? Speaking of Mordecai, but not giving his name. He's asking Haman this question. And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? <laughs> Remember now, God hands over to us. When we have a sinful heart, God says, okay, if that's the direction you want to go, here, I'll just let you live in it. I'll let you sleep in it. See how much you love it. And so he's more concerned about the fact that the king's talking about somebody other than him. And Haman said to the king, so now he puts on the political front, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. In other words, he needs to be given the very best of the king. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. In other words, they should stand walking through the city and shout out, This man has found favor with the king. He is blessed of the king. Now, who wants that blessing? Who wants that, that attention? Haman does. But he knows the king has somebody in mind, and I don't want to get on the bad side of the king, so let me just play it up big. And he does. He plays it up big. Go further, and it says, And then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse as you have said. Do what you said. Do so to 
Mordecai the Jew. The guy that you built the 75-foot-high gallows to murder this morning, that's the guy I'm talking about. King's unaware of what Haman's plan was for Mordecai. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. <laughs> You've drawn the most beautiful picture for me of how this man should be treated because he was so good to me. You, you've drawn a, do exactly what you said. And, and that's exactly what happens. After all, uh, wise men say, only fools rush in. And Haman has rushed in to try to get the king to his side. And God said, no, 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 no. The very thing that you want, you will not be given. And the very one that you want to kill, it shall be given to him. This is God taking over. This is God's sovereignty at work. Love it. And Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning, and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all of his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. Well, I want to tell you right now, next week gets really good. God has the last laugh. You can, you can kick up against God, but God kicks back. You don't play with God. You don't mock God. He will not be mocked. You, you want to be careful that you and I live our lives in such a way as to honor and please the King and not be fearful of those who set themselves up against our king. But we continue to speak the word of truth, the gospel, without compromise. Not in a belligerent way, not in an ugly way, in a loving way, but we, we speak it. We do it. Why? Because this king and this God, that's our God. He is our king. Amen? We can do anything through him. I just love that. I love it. This is the God that I serve. What could I possibly fear from man? So what is it, Christian, that keeps you from witnessing each day? What is it that silences your mouth? Is it possible that we fear man more than this God who is absolutely sovereign and who has saved you and added you to his family and who has a work prepared beforehand for you to carry out? This is the God that we should worship and honor. And we get a chance to do it, not just on Sunday morning and not just on Wednesday night, every day throughout the day by how we live our lives, by how we speak to people, by how we pray for our enemies. 
That is how we bring honor to him. That is how he knows we truly are bent towards him, not ourselves. It, my flesh would love to be in control, would love to get praise. You're, you know, it's like this. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's man. But when you can somehow put that flesh to death and trust the Lord and just be part of his plan, I don't have a clue what God has planned, and I don't. I can't lay out the. I don't know the strategy God's using. All I know is He's called me to pray and to ag agree with Him, to join Him in His great work. And He never gives me the whole picture to know what what part I'm playing and what the grand scheme looks like, except for the end. I do know that clearly. But from day to day, I just need to do what He tells me to do. And and before you think that there's something wrong with you. Yeah, he did the same thing with all the patriarchs. They didn't know beyond that day what God wanted them to do. I mean, there were times where he gave prophecy to them, but they didn't understand fully the prophecies that were given. We now see the prophecies for what they are. We know that they've been fulfilled. But we just need to take one step at a time every day with the Lord. Amen? Just do what he tells you to do. Talk to people, love people, care for people, pray for people. Let the Lord just shine through us. This whole city would be transformed if one church took serious the gospel and not just talk about it on Sunday, but actually flesh it out in our lives. Live it each day. Taking hits for God. It's okay. It's like my friend Shushantapatra said. He told the guy whose father took a, took a, uh, in India, you know, you're in the caste system. So if your dad was a taxi cab driver, that's what you were, okay? And one young man, his name was Sanjoy, and his father was a butcher in a village. And so Sanjoy was raised to be a butcher. And he came home one day and he shared that he had come to faith in Jesus Christ, that he was denouncing all the gods of India, and I'm, I have been baptized into the body of Jesus Christ. I belong to God's family. He was so excited to share. The people rose up, began to beat him. His father took a knife from the kitchen and right across his forehead. And Shushantapatra, who lived in Calcutta, he got a knock at his door, and he went to the door, and there is Sanjoy. And he remembered him from the gospel meeting where they shared the gospel, and Sanjoy gave his heart to Jesus. But he's caked in blood. The wounds, the deep wounds, have now caked over, and his clothing is now pressed into and dried by the blood. And Shushanta said, I took him in. I put him in the bathtub. And he just laid there until the clothing would loosen up enough that they could remove the clothing from his body and then mend the wounds. And at, he said after two weeks, he was still very much in a process of healing. But he said, now you must go back to your people. And Shushanta said it with a smile. It's time to go back. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to go back. 
and they will beat you again. But the blood of the martyrs is what brings forth the salvation of the lost. You will be beaten again, but it's okay. Because you will come back to me. And the next time you come back, you will have people from your village come with you who have believed in Jesus Christ. And Shushanta said two times later, Sanjoy, there was a knock at the door. He opened the door. And like 15 people standing there with big smiles that Sanjoy had led, led to the Lord from his village. Suffering is part of it. The Lord orders that up. Are you willing to suffer for the sake of the Lord's work? For his namesake. Jesus said, if you're, if you're, if you're persecuted, you're blessed. Oh, what a blessing to be persecuted. Well, you know what blessing means? Happy are you. All the Beatitudes, happy are you. Um, I don't think of happiness when I'm being re, you know, rejected by men. Oh, but you're being, you're being reviewed by the Lord for the good work that you've done, and God is celebrating your faithfulness, your obedience. You should be happy. And that's what that young lady said. It was a joy to take beatings, knowing that we were bringing honor to God. We were making His name great on the earth. Amen. I'm in it with you too, by the way. I'm not above you. I'm not ahead of you. I'm smack dab right where you are. There are moments where I miss the opportunities. I'm too busy with stuff that doesn't matter to take the moment and truly pour myself into somebody's life. Somebody I don't know. Somebody who's much different than me. It's wonderful. Isn't it a great feeling when you do join God and you know you do the right thing? It's a wonderful feeling to know that you're, you're joining God in His work. But there's, we all know the other feeling too of just not obeying, not following, not being willing to let God use us to the degree that He desires. So let's, uh, let's give thought to that. Let's, let's make that part of our prayer prayer request tonight that we would all you know rise tomorrow remembering what Paul said no longer do I live Christ now lives in me I'm going to live by faith in the son of God whatever he wants he's got me now let's remember Kat Remsnyder Kathleen Remsnyder she has gone and she's been diagnosed she does have a form of cancer she's in stage one and it's very treatable. They caught it early, and she needs our prayers. She and her husband, Brian, have been part of Vero Bible Fellowship from the beginning. Faithful, faithful ministers of the gospel. I went to Brian's uh, uh, retirement uh, uh, declaration down at uh, the, the county commission chamber where all the county commissioners and the, the chief of police and others stood there and said, this man has been a witness to us of Jesus Christ as a law enforcement officer. He has, he, we know where he stands. That's what he did through his life, through his, his ministry. That's what God's calling us to do. Amen? Every day. Every day. But let's remember his wife, Kat. Okay?
Uh, what other request? We give thanks for the ones like Steve shared, how God just kind of does his own work beyond what we can imagine. Aren't you glad we serve that kind of a God too? Any other requests that we want to mention tonight? Yes. Okay, Shelby, we will remember your daughter. We'll remember her in the hospital with COVID. Anyone else? Yes. Yes, I remember Ann. Her husband did? Oh, we'll, uh, we'll keep Ann in prayer. Okay, we will remember Ann in prayer and, and uh, her family members, others. Amen. Thanks for sharing. I'm sorry to hear that. Hurting? Yeah. She, I know she witnessed to her husband a lot. I don't know if at the end of his life he gave his heart to Christ, but yes. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Amen. Amen. Any other requests before we pray? Yes, Vicki? Yes. Amen. And Steve, I mentioned to you last week, Sunday morning after the service coming up on the 10th, uh, we can gather with you and pray. And I'm sure some of the folks here would love to come up and pray around you too. So we'll, we'll lift you up before your, your heart catheterization on Monday. Let's do that Sunday after service. Good. Any, any others? Well, let's seek the Lord. Can we do that? Father, we want to thank you tonight just how you have uh, called us to be your own, what you are willing to do, Jesus, to come incarnate. God, who is fully man yet fully God, comes and lives perfect that you might go to the cross and die for the guilty, the innocent dying for the guilty, the substitute that you became for us, not just that we might take on uh, your righteousness, but that literally our sins, it's as if we never sinned. Justification by faith. And we are so thankful for that. And now, Lord, we are your children. Lord, to, tomorrow we pray that you would uh, just remind us by the Spirit of the responsibility we have as your children to, to crucify the flesh and walk in the Spirit and join you in your great work. We're learning about this. We're seeing it in Esther's life. We're seeing it in Mordecai, how you gave them favor in, the, in critical moments so that your work would go forward. And we're praying that you would do the same in our lives. You take ordinary people and you're able to do your extraordinary work. There's nobody who's more than ordinary, but we serve an extraordinary God. And so, Lord, just use us in whatever way you choose. 
And Lord, we lift up these requests, these who have physical concerns, that you would be with each one, Lord, one who's suffering with COVID, another who's recently been diagnosed with cancer. And yet, Lord, we know that you are a God who can do anything, and you, can, you, you will come near to them, you will comfort them, but more importantly, we're asking for your healing. We, we pray for the one who's having a heart catheterization on uh, the 11th that this would, procedure would be successful. We lift those who are going through a time of mourning. We think about one who lost her husband. We think about those who are his friends and family members, his wife, all of those who are now struggling. They're, they're, they're heavy-hearted over the loss of their loved one. Comfort them, Lord. Come near to them. Strengthen them. Father, we think about our church. We think about this wonderful day that we're in where for five years we've been a nomadic people just kind of uh, meeting out at the school. But Lord, now you have given us favor and we now have a property that we're in the process of, of purchasing and we're so thankful for that. Lord, may we be good stewards of this property. May we use it for the glory of God. Lord, let Vero Bible Fellowship at that location, let that facility serve as a lighthouse, a high beam of light, the truth of the gospel shining out from that location all over this county. And Lord, it's the people that we are the ones who are called to go into the world and to share the light in dark places. So God, use us in that way. Let, us, let the days of Vero Bible Fellowship in the future be greater than the days in the past. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Well, praise God. We've gone a little over, but over whose time? Over God's time or over our time? All right. God bless you. There's more food, fellowship. Get to know the couple that are here that uh, are now in our community. Amen.